Hi, I'm Erin Hartz. Welcome to Grace Plus Boundaries, a weekly memoir in a podcast. I've realized through the past decade of my recovery that I learn the most about emotional maturity through listening to the triumphant stories of others. Are you yearning to unpack the effects of intergenerational trauma in your life? Do you want to stay true to your feelings, yet also learn how to accommodate the sensibilities of your loved ones? I'm dedicated to cracking the code of combining boundary setting with grace towards one another. Educate, evaluate, and evolve. Let's do this together. Hey, hey, everyone. Valentine's Day is coming up this week. And gosh, I just got finished watching the Super Bowl with the Chiefs winning. And I am so not a football fan, but Taylor Swift, she has the magic. She got me to watch the game. Well, it's really my son wanted to watch the game. And this is the first year that I decided, okay, I'll get Paramount Plus just so we can watch the game. And so I sat there with him the whole time and played on my phone for the first part of the game. And then the second part of the game, it actually got pretty interesting. So I started watching and following the Chiefs. And because of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, I was like, okay, I'm rooting for the Chiefs. And then look what happened. So pretty amazing. And that was really fun. My son and I had a great time watching that. So I'm glad I did it. So anyway, that was such a cool thing to see those two lovebirds. And I know we're all rooting for them. But I have another dating death trap episode. I've had a few dating death trap episodes in the past. This will be number eight. A year ago, I did number seven. And then the year before that, I did six of them. So I have been dating for, it's been about eight years, maybe a little longer since I got divorced. And nothing much has come of it long term. But I've had a lot of experiences here and there. And I've gone for many, many months without dating too, um, because it's it's taxing, you know, dating's challenging, or at least that's how it's been for me. And I really wanted to link back this episode to intergenerational trauma, because I feel like I haven't done that enough in these episodes, kind of link it back since that's my main subject. To me, it seems obvious how all of these episodes that I release relate back to intergenerational trauma because I've been studying it for many, many years now. But maybe if you're a listener that is just starting to understand intergenerational trauma or um, knows portions of it, how it affects your life, but doesn't see other parts of it, maybe it's good to really directly point out the connection between these patterns and how they manifest themselves in our lives today. So today I wanted to talk about how has intergenerational trauma affected your dating life. So I've come up with about four ways that intergenerational trauma has affected my dating life and made it different than I think it would have been had I not experienced some of these things. And maybe this will help shine a light for you on some of those patterns because my goal would be to share what I've taken years to figure out through dating, through reading, through listening to podcasts, etc. And maybe share it with you so it doesn't take you 10 years to figure out how to have a loving relationship. I think I'm just kind of scratching the surface on that one. 
And I'm still practicing, you know, every day. Every day is a winding road, as Cheryl Crow says. So here we go. Um, Let's see. So I do have four things I'm going to share with you. But I just wanted to preface this whole thing by kind of starting out and saying, where did I start noticing this intergenerational trauma pattern in my life? And I didn't even really know that term, intergenerational trauma, for until about maybe two or three years ago. I It started out, you know, 10 years ago when I had a little baby and I started noticing that I had negative self-talk. And then from the negative self-talk, I went to therapy and I started noticing that my sister wasn't just kind of rude sometimes. She was, I'd say now, verbally abusive. And as I started to realize what was going on in my family and notice these ter- this and learn this new terminology i started to take the things that were happening to me in my life more seriously right i didn't just have a sister that sometimes was critical which that is true um and she has apologized for it um for, since back then um but i didn't just have a family that criticized me a lot it was actually verbally abusive, and I started to use these terms a little bit or kind of try them on for size, and as I started noticing these little aspects of my sister, then it became a little bit bigger, and I noticed, gosh, my ex-husband, well, my husband at the time, man, he kind of treats me the way my sister treats me. That's that's strange, you know, And but it's a little bit different. It's a little more subtle. It's a little less direct, like my sister might call me a name or something like that or say, I'm really dumb and tell me why. Um, And my ex wouldn't. He would, you know, just kind of imply things with the expressions on his face or blame me for things, um, expect me to take the blame for things. Just that was the pattern. So I started realizing the emotional abuse there. And I still just thought he had some bad patterns. You know, I didn't realize that this was like, an abusive situation. It took me a while longer to realize that. I thought, oh, he's going to be able to change these patterns. Okay, well, maybe he just doesn't know he's doing them. So let's go to therapy and see if he can figure them out. And then, you know, years of therapy later and many, many months of me trying everything I could think of to stand up for myself, to get him to compromise, etc. They didn't work. You know, it just kind of went around that abuse cycle where we'd make up and he'd be really nice for a couple days or weeks and then we'd have some really bad days and it would kind of just go back to zero again. So I had to leave that relationship, which was really hard because I had a little kid and at the time I didn't have a job, but thankfully I did have My parents let me live with them for a tiny bit of time, and I had a little bit of money, so I was able to move and settle myself and my son as a single mom. But that was where my research continued because I still didn't know what was wrong with me. You know, after leaving a relationship where I learned the word narcissism and I learned about codependency and I learned that these were patterns and I learned all the manipulation tactics that. Um, my ex would use on me. So I started seeing it through that lens and understanding what it meant. But then when I was off on my own, yes, I started looking at my side of it, which was codependency, but it took a long time to unpack that to really see like, what could I do differently to make sure that 
I didn't get into these relationships again. It took a long time for me to learn that because it was like two years after leaving my ex that I had my first relationship. And that's what I talk about in the dating death trap number one, I believe, the first guy I dated. And it was a total shit show for lack of better word. It was it was really horrible. I attracted another narcissist and I didn't know it, of course, at the time. I only dated him for about a month and it ended really badly. And it helped me. It woke me up, though. It made me realize that, oh, my God, it's not just my ex-husband. It's like I have become someone that attracts these type of people. Like, how did that happen? And the people that I dated before my ex-husband, they weren't like this. And I think part of the reason, I mean, I don't think they would have been healthy relationships, but they weren't this bad. And I think part of that is because after going through, I was married for eight years. So I had lived with some, I guess we had been together 10 years living together. So after living with someone who has a lot of narcissistic tendencies or is a narcissist for that long, it really wore me down and it caused a lot of stress in my body. And so when I left that relationship, now I know the term of narcissistic abuse recovery, which means that I had complex PTSD from being in that relationship. I know I had that, even though I was never technically diagnosed with it because it's not a very common diagnosis or wasn't back in 2015. But I know I had it because I was, my nervous system was just totally shot. I had inner ear things where I would hear like beeping and buzzing a lot of times. And I've heard that's connected to narcissistic abuse. I also startled very easily at any sort of loud noise. I was just all the time like anxious. I was also depressed a lot. I was diagnosed with depression back then and anxiety. And all this came because of me being scared of the person I was living with. And at the end, he really did become scary a lot of times. And, it, you know, it never got physical, but it very much seemed like it was going to progress to that because I think it was a progressive disease in that, or I don't know if you'd call it a disease, but it is a progressive ailment, or at least that's how it behaved when I was married to that person. It seemed to get worse and worse as time went by. So now I look at it and I look back at the relationships I'd had in the the past eight years. And I can see like, how has this intergenerational trauma affected my dating life? Well, so if I think about that, I ended up marrying a narcissist is is what I'm going to go with right now, even though that's the person's not diagnosed. I'm just using that because then you guys are going to know what I'm talking about. Um, Somebody who is a covert narcissist is going to look really good on the outside and present really well to friends and family, but in the closed doors of the home behave in a lot of different ways. And that was what I experienced in that marriage. You know, we'd go to a party and he'd play with the kids and have so much fun. And then the second we'd get into the car on the way home, he'd start nagging at me and pushing me and telling me that I, you know, verbally pushing me and telling me that I did this wrong or I should have brought him water at this time and blah, blah, blah. What that, I can't believe you said that comment. You're, that was so rude, blah, blah. And he just start kind of verbally abusing me on the way home. So that was really hard. So I had to notice like, where did that come from? 
why did that happen to me that I was attracted to this person and I felt comfortable with this person in the first few years of our dating relationship? And if I look back at those two years before we got engaged, this person was decent to me back then. And I think he was able to put on a show. And also, I did not see the red flags. So I had been conditioned as a child to not listen to my intuition, to surpass this feeling that there's a problem because people in my household treated me this way too. So even though they didn't necessarily mean to, I think that some of it is because they had intergenerational trauma and this is the way they were treated when they were children. I'm sure of it. Like I know that if they knew what I knew, probably things would be a lot different back then. But I think that the pattern of relationships in my family has just been not very healthy. And there's been a lot of verbal abuse. Um, Before my grandparents, there was physical abuse and things like that. And probably with my parents too a little bit. Um, But they don't necessarily see it that way. Because, you know, they're not as educated in trauma the way that I have become and the way the world hopefully is moving in that direction. So where did all this come from? Why did I marry a narcissist? I mean, the quick answer is because of intergenerational trauma, because that is how I felt comfortable. I was raised in this one environment, and these people unknowingly treated me like I didn't matter and that love was conditional and, you know, didn't treat me like I was a valid person, even though they didn't mean to necessarily. So that's what I looked for when I went out to find a partner. I mean, this was all totally unconscious, right? And of course, I didn't know I was doing it. I thought I was just following what people do in life. You know, they meet someone, they fall in love, they get married. I didn't know what to ask or what to make sure of or that there were narcissists out there that I should be worried about. I mean, this person I married was my high school boyfriend. You know, it was like, could I I didn't even know the idea of narcissism, but it was just like, really, my high school boyfriend turns out to be a narcissist? Like, that's not fair. You know, like, where did that come from? Like, I guess my thought was that these narcissists were not just people that we knew, right? They were some like evil force that came in, but you just don't always see this. I I think a lot of other people saw the signs and I just didn't. I was really blind to them. And that is because of intergenerational trauma. Intergenerational trauma affected my dating life by my high responsibility. So I came into all my relationships thinking that I had this big responsibility to make this thing work. I had low self-esteem and I thought that it was up to me to keep the health of the relationship because that's the feeling I got from my mom when I was a kid, that I was responsible to make her happy and that that was my purpose in life. That's the feeling I got, even though I know she didn't mean to do that. That's just how it came out. So I, again, did this when I was 
in partnership later on. I had not moved from that point. I had not learned the skills to become a person who could discern what responsibility meant in a relationship and how much was mine and how much was the other person because it was so off balance with me and my mom and me and my dad in a lot of ways too. So it's kind of interesting because I think the relationship with me and my mom was even more unhealthy, but my dad had some things too that he was working out in his younger years that I think now he seems to have found that balance. And I'm very grateful for that. But it wasn't always like that when I was little. I mostly spent time with my mom and, um, you know, my dad was busy working and um, he gave what he could, you know, he did his best and taught me a lot of things, but nobody's perfect. And we're all wrestling with this intergenerational trauma and we didn't even know it was there back then. You know, um, the second thing that affected that affects our dating life would be, you know, being attracted to that narcissistic or dysfunctional relationship, being attracted to a partner that is hot and cold of being attracted to a partner who manipulates us Because if we can't see the signs, then we're going to believe those lies that they say. And we're going to think that this fantasy relationship could happen, even though we have that little feeling in our gut that maybe it's not right. We're going to silence that and we're just going to go with whatever they say because their word, that's what I learned from when I was a kid, that their words were more important than their actions. And that's actually the opposite of what's true in my life now. Actions speak much more highly than words, as the saying goes, right? You know, I was attracting partners that took advantage of my kindness. And my sister always called me gullible when I was a kid, and she couldn't be more right. I was very gullible, and it and it showed when I became an adult, too. I had not grown up. And that leads me to the third point, is that I was not emotionally mature, And that's what led me to finding another emotionally immature person. I was insensitive to my own feelings. I was probably desensitized in a lot of ways, but I was insensitive to my own feelings because I didn't know how to feel them. I didn't know how to get in touch with myself. And that actually made me insensitive to other people too. I could read a narcissist's mood like, like a book, but healthy people... I did not speak the language of intuition or self-care. Those things didn't even register to me. So someone who was healthy, they wouldn't even be on my radar. I don't think I would, you know, have gotten along with them easily because we would have been so far apart in our emotional maturity. Number four, another way that intergenerational trauma affects our dating life is by low self-esteem. I believed my self-worth was sexual and extremely conditional. I thought my self-worth came through my sexual attraction and my lack of boundaries to be what my partner wanted me to be. I thought that sexual chemistry was really important. And I'm not saying it's not important, but I thought it was extremely important. So when I found that and sex was easy and fun and that worked so well, I just thought that meant that I had a great relationship. And now I know that that's only one piece of the puzzle, right? There's so many more parts that are more important or just as important for a whole 
puzzle to be created and last a long time. All right, and finally, I think that another way that intergenerational trauma affects dating is by repetition compulsion, right? If we have not taken a look back at the things that have happened to us in our childhood and notice the times we have been traumatized, then we're just going to repeat it because that's just the way life works, that we're going to see that same thing play out again so that we have an opportunity to fix it this time. And so that's how the cycle begins, right? And it repeats. Then we have a child and then we repeat that cycle and pass it on to that child and then that child grows up and passes it on to that child and there passes it on to their child and you know that's how it continues and somebody some at some point needs to wake up and start noticing the patterns being willing to reflect on the patterns and do the work as they say which i think means introspection taking quiet time finding a therapist reading up on these patterns, listening to podcasts about them, and starting to take action somehow in your life to see if your actions really do match the person that you want to be. Back when I was getting divorced, I knew this person that I wanted to be, and she was so far from the person that I was. And it was so hard because I'm like, how did I get so off course? And I got so off course by being in a relationship with someone who just took my vibrancy and used it, you know, and I was stuck in that pattern because I didn't know how to be in an equal partnership and I didn't even know what that meant. These are some ways that intergenerational trauma can affect our dating. For me, it's like, it's not that I can't date. I can date. I just have to be very much willing to notice what's happening when I'm dating and date very slowly. So I'm very proud of myself for taking things slowly with the last person that I had a crush on. They just, they turned out to be really different than I originally thought they were since I had such an attraction to them. And it's just really cool that I was able to sit back and watch myself kind of have my trauma reactions trauma responses play out and how excited I was to see this person and then to eventually see them for who they really were. I'm so proud to say that when I finally saw who this person really was, I didn't have any more attraction to them anymore. And that's a big thing for me because I was not in denial about the fantasy of what a person can be and I saw the truth. And after I saw the truth, my nervous system was able to be like, ew, gross, we don't want that in our life. And I think that's a new step for me. So I hope this helped you. Let me know. Please write, rate and review this podcast. Let me know if you're listening. I'm going to release some of the other Dating Death Trap episodes because I really like them. I put a lot of effort and a lot of myself into them. I really told some very deep and personal stories in those, but I told them because I wished I had been able to hear those stories before I made those mistakes. I think I learned a lot from my mistakes, so I'm not saying I regret them necessarily, but I'm a person that actually can learn some lessons sometimes from reading a book or hearing other people talk about it. So maybe you are too. 
thank you for listening and let me know what you're thinking. You can find me on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. All right. Have a great Valentine's Day. Bye-bye. You deserve a big high five and a smile in the mirror for showing up for yourself today. Thank you for your dedication to introspection and self-awareness because our personal evolution is what will make this world a better place. If you enjoyed the episode, please give me a five-star review and share it with a friend. And let me know if you want to be a guest to share how you are navigating intergenerational trauma in your life. You're welcome to join my free monthly goal-setting workshop on the first Wednesday of every month. Just DM me at iHeartsAaron.